Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we've got a special guest star today and for all future episodes. We're adding a uh, host to the podcast. Yes, yes. Uh, our our daughter Sam is finally home, but uh, she is just a baby, so her opinions about Farscape are unformed. You probably won't hear her much. Maybe just a couple squeaks. <laughs> Yeah, we, uh, we fed her right before getting started, so hopefully she'll sleep through the whole thing. Right? Fingers crossed. We might end up recording in, in pieces. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Uh, so we are here to talk about uh, Season 1, Episode 15, Durka Returns. Remember Durka? He was that guy who was like a corpse really briefly in PK Tech Girl, except not apparently. Yes, that, that is correct. Uh, this episode was directed by Tony Tilsey. You know him. He's done several prior episodes. He did Till the Blood Runs Clear, PK Tech Girl. Mm. And this episode was written by Grant McAloon. He didn't do... That's some name. <laughs> yeah, he worked as a, I want to say, a script supervisor on the show. He didn't do many episodes just him, but he did do this one. He is going to do uh, Vetus Mortis next season, which is a Dargo-heavy episode. <laughs> and he wrote the first part of Liars, Guns, and Money, which is an amazing episode. It's the one with the Shadow Depository. I'm very excited to get there. It's one of the three-parters. Uh, so uh, if you're more of a Farscape person, if, you've some, if you're someone who's seen the show before... Uh, you will be familiar with this episode as the first Chiana episode. Yes, we finally got Chiana. Who is the one character I know from, uh, remember when they used to sell DVD collections in stores? Yes. Yes, I do remember. She is the one character I remember from the uh, DVD covers from when I used to browse uh, the sci-fi fantasy section every time I went to Walmart or, or Target or whatever to see if they had new Buffy DVDs out. So Yeah, well, I mean, she's very striking. She's the blue-gray cat girl. Yes. I mean, cat-looking girl. She's not literally a cat girl. Um, also, do I remember seasons of DVDs? Okay, I'm going to tell you, and, and our younger listeners, before the dawn of streaming, mm. I was watching this show on DVDs. And when we hit a couple of these season finales that end on cliffhangers, I drove two hours to a city that had them in stock so that I could get the next season to watch. I was like, what? We can't leave it there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I remember when you had to buy shows on DVD. Long, long time ago. <laughs> Do you know what happened to your Farscape DVDs? Phil took them. So, I really like this episode. Like, I'm... I'm glad you like this episode. It's a great episode. It, it introduces Chiana, and it also introduces her her race, obviously, the Nabari. Are they a big thing later? We run into them as, like, I don't know, third-tier villains later. Mm. And I like that, and I, I think as an X-Men fan, you will appreciate this. I, I like that mind control is being shown here as explicitly evil. Oh, I thought you were going to say that she's basically uh, Hexapatha, or God, I, I never know how to pronounce her name, but uh, Cyclops' dad's space. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, that isn't what I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, probably not, but at the same time, I feel like maybe they might have been cribbing a little bit from her design. Oh. Just, you know, 
white space cat lady. Yeah, okay, I can see that. I can see that. Although technically, hexapith. Technically, she's like a space skunk lady, but she looks like a cat, and they don't ever reference her doing any skunk things, so. Well, we know from the Pepe Le Pew cartoons that if you paint a white stripe down a cat, it looks just like a skunk, even to other skunks. Yeah, so. Yeah. Fair. I guess the reverse also holds true. If you paint a skunk white, it'll look like a cat. Yeah, that's that's what I understand from cartoons. But this is definitely a top episode of uh, Farscape for me. Like, I'm... It's It's been kind of hit or miss so far, and last episode was pretty rough. Look, I mean, I'm not going to lie, the first season is pretty uneven, but I feel like we're over the hump of unevenness, and we're getting into, like, mostly good stuff now. The problem with Farscape, um, you know, I, I for our old website, I wrote a couple of how-to-watch guides, like, mm-hmm. for instance, on The Office, you just start at the Dundies, finish a dinner party, and you've got a super strong series. Yes. With Farscape, you can't really start somewhere else because there's so much that you need to have established. It's not quite serialized, but it's serialized enough that you can't just tell someone, you know, the way you would with Parks and Rec, oh, just start with the second season. Mm. Especially in this instance where the first episode of the second season is the second half of the cliffhanger from the first season. It's pretty gutsy to end a season on a cliffhanger. It's like saying, I don't care whether we're renewed or not. Well, Star Trek The Next Generation ended a season with Picard being assimilated by the Borg, famously. And Riker being like, shoot his ass. Yes. We're working on it. We're working on not swearing. In front of the baby. Yes. We don't care what you hear. (laughs) But the baby's here right now. She's she's objecting to my swearing. (laughs) And there was some question over whether... Next Generation was going to get another season after that. But after, you know, Locutus, there was no way they couldn't have a second season. So I feel like it almost became tradition for sci-fi to end seasons with these giant cliffhangers after that. Notably did not work for ALF. That's true. Although, ALF had a movie to wrap things up. Just like Farscape. When we get to the final episode of the series, when it ends, you're going to be like, that's the ending? (laughs) That is some BS. But Farscape also wraps up with a movie, The Peacekeeper Wars. Ah. So, it's okay. When we get to the last episode and you're like, that cannot possibly be the ending. It's okay. There's more coming. (laughs) I want to say one more thing about Chiana before we jump into the episode. We've talked a little bit on this podcast about how Farscape is essentially a D&D party. Mm -hmm. And one of the fun things is that Chiana is another rogue. She's, She's a more traditional rogue than Rigel, who is royalty but then he has taken all the rogue skills and as a result i really like when the two of them interact going forward on this show i always thought there was like a class for what rigel is like a class that's like diplomat or whatever where you're like really rich and you're kind of funding the party but also you have high charisma there is but it's not one of the main classes Ah. so i mean it's it's a it's a specialty class Hmm. And, and Rigel really does the, the work of the rogue. And sometimes people who've played D&D will know, sometimes the person who plays the rogue is a real jerk and really plays up the I'm a thief and you don't know if you can trust me, even though supposedly you're my party bit of being a rogue. Mm-hmm. And that's really Rigel. And sometimes the rogue is really charismatic and you just want to be around them all the time. And that's Chiana. So I like that we kind of have both sides of the rogue coin. I say this as somebody who consistently plays the rogue. <laughs> 
right, well, let's, let's uh, dive in. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So the episode opens with, uh-oh, something's going on with the ship. Yeah, so basically Moya Starburst is never going to work properly for as long as she is pregnant, which is fair. fair. You don't see a lot of uh, sprinters continuing to sprint once they get pregnant. Listen, it was hard for me to function when I was pregnant, and I was building a seven-pound human. She's building another ship. Also, it's important to it's important for later in this episode, and we've heard it before, but essentially the the baby has first call on Moya's resources, which is fair. Yeah. So everything else is kind of wonky. Yeah, Zan's just like, like a human pregnancy. Zan's like, I can see why the peacekeepers wanted to keep her from being pregnant. Also, Zan's a priest again in this episode, I guess. Yeah, I think that that's... I'll see if she makes any reference to not being a priest anymore after this, but I think we're done with that. I think she's just a po' again. <laughs> but why, why did, A, why did she do that at the end of the episode? And B, why did they bring it up one more time if it wasn't going to affect what she does in the future? Because she there's a bit in the, this episode where she's like... Uh, you need to tell me where your pain is before I can take it. Yeah, because that's what, that's one of the priest powers. Yeah. So clearly she's still a priest. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I think... I think she's not a priest when it would be too inconvenient, you know, to the plot for her to have her, pe- her priest powers. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. So when Moya comes out of Starburst, she wings another ship. Space is really big. It's weird that this keeps happening. I know. It's funny. This is exactly what happened with John. And so Pilot makes them bring the ship on board because, you know, our bad. <laughs> our bad. We, we hit this other ship. We should, uh, we should bring it on board. I bet wacky shenanigans won't ensue. Hopefully there's no one shocking on that ship. The universe is a really big place. This seems kind of unlikely, but okay. Yeah. I get it. It's a narrative. Also, they're doing some kind of, what's the phrase? Gunboat uh, diplomacy? Because they're like, oh, we accidentally winged this ship and we kind of messed them up. So we should go take care of them, you know, make sure everything's cool. But also they have weapons on board. So before, you know, saying, hey, you need help, we should, you know, just burst into their ship with our guns out. Just in case. It's the uncharted territories, Max. So yes, the crew heads down to the docking bay with their weapons drawn, and a man emerges, a man with long white hair and an eye patch. He has a real space wizard vibe going on. Not Maldus, but like like a space Dumbledore look. Hmm. Like if Dumbledore and Mad-Eye Moody had a baby. Yes. Speaking of which, where horrible things J.K. Rowling keeps on doing aside... We are finishing the Harry Potter books for the baby. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until going through them that I really re- realized how Mad-Eye Moody loses basically every fight he's in for the entire book series. Well, I when you said that, it was so true. And, you know, he's like uh, Dargo or Worf, where he's theoretically the heavy, the strong fighter. But if you break it down, he does not win fights. Yeah. Yeah. Like, everyone talks about him all the time as, you know, this, you know, huge, tough guy who, you know, single-handedly changed the tide of the war for... And I get it, he's older now and stuff, but... But then, you know, he lets the ship he's in charge of get taken by the Ferengi. That's the Next Generation episode, Rascals. Uh, 
Yeah. That's the one where several crew members turn into children. I love that episode so much. <laughs> okay, so what is it with transporters? Uh, I mean, transporters are horrifying because they create a clone of you and kill the original version. I mean, as unless they mess up like they did with Riker that one time, or unless they combine you like the well, I mean, I guess the original Tuvok and Neelix were. Uh, yeah, or they could send you back in time, or they could like freeze you in time. Like transporters are a mess. I'm surprised anyone uses them. Merge you with a different person accidentally lose some of your mass and therefore turn you into a child no no it didn't just lose their mass it rewrote their dna it, it basically gave them like an injection of stem cells dear lord yeah no transporters are a horror show and honestly it creates a duplicate of you and then kills the original in in some of the star trek novels there are races that won't use them because of that. Like, it's it's basically that's, like that's textually how they work. That's yeah. I mean, it breaks you up and it, you know, it, it breaks up your code. It breaks you up. It gets your code and then it moves the code somewhere else. The fact that there's a second Riker that they can use that code to make more than one Riker. Mm. Yeah, that. Yeah. I see. I didn't watch Star Trek up until you started showing me episodes of it. So there's a bit and speaking of authors who are not great, uh, there's a bit there's a bit in uh, Scott Adams book, The Dilbert Future. OK, where he's talking about how uh, you only need to use a transporter once because the transporter just rebuilds someone who values fast travel more than uh, not dying. <laughs> And it's like, it's part of the system. They only have to kill you once, and then you're okay with them killing you as many times as it takes to get from point A to point B. Well, I mean, the transporter is basically the same device as in, spoilers, the prestige. Mm. And and that's supposed to be a horrific reveal in the prestige. <laughs> I'm willing to bet all the people who are whining about the whole, you, you know, the new X-Men thing, uh, the new situation with them on Krakoa. Oh, sorry. No, I was thinking about an entirely different X-Men discourse. Please tell me about the Krakoa discourse. Okay, so spoilers for current X-Books. It's the premise of the new thing. Uh, the X-Men are now on Krakoa, which is their new island nation thing. And they've assembled a team of five different mutants who, uh, when using their powers in conjunction with one another, can bring any mutant who died back from the dead. Okay. So, like, death is somehow even less of a problem for the X-Men than it has been in the past because they just have a go-to resurrection machine. And there are some people who are like, okay, well, except they're just clones who, you know, have all of the memories. and Because it's just... what I mean, what is resurrection? Like, where is the person? Where is the person housed? Is it in the memories or is it something ineffable? Yeah. yeah. They're like, it's just the person's... Not con like a copy of the person's of the person who died's consciousness put in a clone body essentially. So yes, those people are dead, and it's like, does it really make it? And all also like with telepathy and all, it's not like it's just a clone who happens to have the memories. Like to what degree is the consciousness po uh, potable? Yeah, well, it's it's the question raised by 
the new Amazon Prime series Upload. Hmm. And also... Which is very good. You should check it out. Yes. If you use Amazon Prime or if you have means to watch it. Yes. Yes. So, Durka returns. Uh, yeah, so this... Oh, I, I was saying that because it's the title of the episode, but also it's what we're talking about. Yeah, this long, white-haired, eye-patchy dude is Durka. And we get this unintentionally really funny reaction shot from uh, I Rigel. I don't think it's funny. I think they did a really good job of showing horror on a puppet's face. Just the fact that he's like he's looking down and then he looks up and it just zooms in on the puppet face. It just reminds me of all of those animal reaction shots from like bad kids movies where the dog, where, you know, someone slips on a banana peel and the dog's like, huh? but they flash, they flash back to the bits and PK tech girl when they flash back to flashbacks of flashbacks. Yeah, it's true. We get a quick previously on essentially, because remember it's the nineties. You can't necessarily watch everything all at once. Mm. So we see the bits from PK Tech Girl that are Rigel remembering being tortured by Durka. That's what happened. He was held prisoner by him on the thousands Zal- of cycles ago. Yes, on the Zalbinian and tortured. And when they went to the Zalbinian, he saw Durka's corpse and had some closure, which is about to be reopened because here's Durka. The prime minister called it barely a subplot. It was like four minutes of the episode, if that. It's funny because it it's so it's such a powerful bit. Like I remember it so strongly. But yeah, to to break it down and realize, oh, that barely happened. Also, it kind of messes with the whole plot where you know they're dealing with the frog people and they're trying to stop the frog people from getting on Moya. But meanwhile, Rigel's just hopping back and forth between the two ships all willy nilly. Yeah, yeah. There's not a good sense of space in PK Tech Girl. Another thing that. Didn't bother me until I watched it with you. Sorry. <laughs> so, so Rigel, actually, I think it's a great moment where he is like, oh, no, it's Durka. Durka has returned. And Aaron says, that's... Titular line. And Aaron's like, that's ridiculous. Durka died a hundred years ago. And everyone's like, Rigel... Hundreds of cycles ago. Yes. And everyone's like, Rigel, you are super wrong right now there's no way you could possibly be more wrong i'm so certain of your wrongness that i'm gonna take a big sip of water right now and then durka says no he's right i am durka and then he has to wipe off his face because of all the spit takes yes and then we go to credits spice final frontier my name is john Crichton, an astronaut a radiation wave hit. It's so funny that, like, any space show credit makes you want to go into the Star Trek opening monologue when Farscape itself has an iconic opening monologue. It's all just space. The most finalist frontier. Honestly, though, like... Honestly, the final frontier would be a good uh, name for this show. Hmm, yeah. Also, I was going to point out, most things are space. Go on. Well, like you know, planets with atmospheres where you are can in, live yeah. are, are, are a very small part of, you know, everything. Yes. Most stuff is space. Yeah, but most of the interesting stuff happens on those planets. As far as you know. Okay, most of the stuff involving life forms that we can comprehend. Oh, yeah, like on in the show, yeah. But like in reality, as far as you know. Yeah, I mean, I... 
I don't know. I feel like I would have trouble relating to a real life, you know, creature capable of living in a vacuum. I guess, but I mean, we haven't even gotten past our own moon. Who has it? You have no idea what's out there. I just, I don't think I would be able to relate to the problems of a creature who lives in a vacuum. I don't think I would be able to connect to that character on a personal level. I mean, I can't say for sure, but I, I vacuum would, dweller problems. Am I right? I would imagine that their difficulties are not ones that relate cleanly to our Earth difficulties. All right, that's fair. So everyone freaks out when uh, we come back from credits. When we get when we come back from credits, everyone freaks out. Dargo pulls his dumb sword gun. Yeah. I mean, he already kind of had it, but he pulls it more aggressively. and He, like, shakes it. Like, if it was a shotgun, he would have racked it, but it's just a plastic prop, so he just kind of shakes it. And some poor set person just hurls the Rigel puppet at Durka, <laughs> and John has to kind of catch it real quick. Okay, I have to say, this is not fair, because... It- it's stage where John is holding Rigel back, like, calm down, let's hear him out. It's great mime work from uh, Ben Browder. Yes. I mean, he nails physical stuff. That's just a reoccurring theme with Ben Browder. But story-wise, this guy's a peacekeeper torturer. Let Rigel get some bites in. Yeah, seriously, John, what are you doing here? What's, what's, see, this is also a reoccurring thing with John, where since he's not from here, he doesn't have the innate revulsion to the peacekeepers that so many other characters have. But there's no need to fear. A really, really white guy is here. He's gray. He's blue-gray. The, the, the Nabari are kind of like a blue-gray. Depending on how you have your color settings on your TV, they're more blue or more gray. Or how many cones you have in your eyes. Yes, yes. I was really surprised to find out that uh, Lisa's dress in The Simpsons is supposed to be red, because I've always seen it as kind of more of an orangey color. Definitely looks red to me, but that makes sense because women have more cones than men. Hmm. So this very, very white or gray man is like, there's no need to fear. I mean, he's clearly blue. This blue man? Or it's definitely a cone thing again, I guess. He's like, there's no need to fear. I've messed with this man's brain so he won't harm anyone. Okay, so for those of you who watched Firefly, which is just a a weak, less cool version of Farscape. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But so for those of you who, who did watch Firefly, this is essentially the Pax virus from the movie, from Serenity. Only less killy. Yes. Yeah, except it works. <laughs> yes, the Nabari have some sort of system where they can make people peaceful. Mm. Yeah, and so that's what they have done to Durka. Although, since he's an evil peacekeeper torturer, it took them hundreds of years for it to work. It turns out the Nabari are the people who originally fought the Zalbinian, and they took Durka aboard, and... Uh, yeah. Lobotomized him. Yeah, essentially. They remo- they removed all of the bits in his brain that makes him, you know, okay with torture and murder and all that jazz. He's basically spiked chip now. Except Chipped spike. We're also a little tired. <laughs> you know, baby and all. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is sort of 
I wouldn't say it's exactly a Spike situation because he's okay with it. That's true. Yeah, you're right. It's much more like the Pax, except, as you said, it works. <laughs> so Durka and the Nabari, whose name is Silas. Silas. S- yeah. Say that they're transporting a dangerous prisoner. So uh, it would be really convenient if there were cells on this ship. And it turns out it's their lucky day. <laughs> it's just like the movie Pitch Black. They crap in that they're on a prison ship. Yeah. Yeah. And they're trying and you know, they're trying to transport Vin Diesel, except he's a cat lady. Yeah. Yep. So they bring Chiana aboard, this dangerous criminal. And you know, I I I like that they don't play it as a joke that she is a, a small woman. I mean, she's a small woman, right? Yeah. But they don't play it as a joke where they're like, this is a dangerous criminal, and then they bring out Chiana. Like, Dargo is still on guard, and Silas and Durka both have an arm. Like, they're, like, Hannibal lecturing this thing up. They are being cautious. And Ben Browder is flexing his very, very muscly arms at her. Well. He, it's, it's... She is an attractive woman. <laughs> I think it's he's trying to do it threateningly, but it, it comes off as kind of a little preening. Yes. Yes, exactly. So Ben's like, I'm sorry. So John's like, really? Her? Not because she's, you know, a woman, but like, she looks so sad. How could she be a criminal if she looks sad? And Silas is like, hey, some BS space flower looks very pretty, but if you touch its stinger... It will kill you. I mean, essentially what he said is the alien version of roses have thorns. Yes. Ugh. And Chiana, Chiana knows the weak point in this imprisonment. So she goes immediately to John and is like, ask them what I did. Because you will definitely want to rescue me when you find out what I did. What my crime was. But Also, like, come on, dude. Dimple- like, come on. Sanctuary, sanctuary. Why did I teach her that word? <laughs> yeah. So Silas has like the torture button. Yes, he pushes a button on his forehead and it causes her pain collar to go off. And John's like, you're not really making a good point here, dude. Like, she's like, please help. They're treating me inhumanely. And I, my crime was minor at best. And also brainwashing is bad. And the guy's like, silence. Although I do appreciate when John's like, you know, it seems like you might be the villain here. Silas is like, we were minding our own business. You crashed into our ship. You're the, uh, Crace's brother in this situation. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna say John maybe has some residual guilt about that particular situation. Because he, uh, he, he drops it for this scene. Speaking of, we haven't seen Crace in, like... Sometime. Yeah, it's been a while, I know. <laughs> so, Zan is not huge on the whole brainwashing people into not being evil thing. and she Yeah, she's more about haranguing people into not being evil and then getting all mad at them when they decide that they're going to keep being evil. I do love that she's like, hey, so I think brainwashing people is total BS. And he's like, Durka appreciates what we did for him. Ask him if you don't believe me. Like, uh, yeah, the brainwashed guy has no reason to say that the brainwashing isn't a good thing. What? What What could, I I can't think of any reason why Durko would say he's okay with being brainwashed. 
Uh, so, Jargo has kind of a different thing where he's like, why didn't you just kill him? You killed everyone else. And also killing peacekeepers is good. I hate peacekeepers so much. Well, he's remember from PK Tech Girl that the Zalbinian was supposed to be the most powerful ship the peacekeepers had. So, Targo's like, wait, did you have like a weapon that took out the peacekeepers? Your ships, like, like let's let's talk about how you took out peacekeepers, and uh, because because I, you mentioned that we haven't heard from him in a while, but Dargo is keenly aware that Kreese's warship is coming for them. Is it? It's not doing a great job. Well, you know, psychologically falling apart, monomaniacal tyrants are rarely the best strategists. I mean, I'm assuming he shows up later because, you know, he's in the opening credits and all. But I'm just saying it would be not a huge leap in logic to just kind of assume that, I don't know, a mutiny happened at some point or possibly the rest of the peacekeepers caught up to him and had him executed. Like, he, I would imagine the other peacekeepers are not thrilled with him. Because he essentially stole a military vehicle. And a whole tr- and a whole squadron. Yeah, he basically... I'm trying to think, is there a non-racist term for when you forcibly conscript a bunch of... I guess it's forcibly conscript a bunch of people into your service. Well, I mean, that's what peacekeepers do. Yeah. Point. But I'm sure they're not thrilled when other people are doing it with their people. Yeah, but remember, he killed the only lieutenant that knew that the peacekeepers had told him to come back. So as far as they know, they're just following peacekeeper orders no i know but the main peacekeeper oh yeah they're not going to be happy when they find Kreese. that's an accurate statement so i mean it's a michael scott paper company thing like they don't need to uh they don't need to escape the peacekeepers they just need to are they don't need to defeat the they just need to wait until Kreese is gone right they don't need to outrun the peacekeepers they just need to outrun Kreese. yeah 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 no i mean that's fair I'm, i'm gonna say that the thing that when, when we see Kreis again, the thing he does, I think, is very truly evil. It makes me angry. We'll talk about it when it happens. Hmm. And, of course, our listeners who know Farscape know exactly what I mean. All right. So, I... I, I They go an interesting way with Kreis' character. That's what I'm going to say. So, Aaron comes to talk to Rigel about maybe not killing Durka. I mean, wh- In... Why? who cares seriously like do you do you not you're not a peacekeeper anymore or well i i I like that rigel knows how to talk to aaron right because he knows that durka was a legendary figure amongst peacekeepers so when aaron goes to talk to him about it rigel reminds her hey if durka's alive it's because he ran away from the fight and left his crew to die you okay with that yeah, it is kind of interesting because for Aaron, Durka's kind of a, like a historical figure. Like, she read about him in space textbooks, you know. She his, learned about him at space school. Yes. His exploits are well recorded, blah, blah, blah. But all of this is, you know, revisionist bullshit, and uh, Aaron's not thrilled about that. But and she doesn't really have a counter argument, but she just yells at Rigel to not kill him, because that's, that's all she has. <laughs> she sticks a knife in his face, too. You're right, she also has knives. Yeah. But I do like that 
this affected her. She immediately goes to talk to Durka. And we, we just watched Moana last night. And this actually reminds me of the bit where Moana first meets Maui. Mm-hmm. Because Durka's like, I know it must be hard for you to look at me, a hero in your culture. And Aaron's like, yeah, so did you really run away and leave the rest of your crew behind? What can I say except you're welcome? Aaron's like, okay, so exactly what did you do? I'm, I'm giving you an opening to tell me that you did something honorable. And Dirk is like, I faked my death and deserted the ship. Aaron is not pleased by that. So did he just, like, find another long-haired crew member, jab out their eye, slap the eye patch on him, and then, uh, I don't know, hit them with a skeleton beam or whatever? Um, Yeah. Do you think he kept around someone who looked enough like him so that he would have this out? First of all, remember, Durka didn't have long hair back on the Zalbinian. He had, like, a military cut. Oh, but I thought their military involved really stupid-looking ponytails. Oh, you know what? It often does, but Durka didn't have that. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm sure there was some other peacekeeper who had, you know. And I guess it looked enough like him before he was turned into a skeleton, we have to assume. But, of course... So what you're saying is the peacekeepers don't have skeleton beams. Not to my knowledge. Also, remember, he only had to fake his death for the Nabari. He didn't have to fake it for other peacekeepers. So really, any corpse in the commander's office would probably do. Hmm. Meanwhile, in Chiana's cell, John has brought her some food cubes, but her her hands are you know, handcuffed behind her back. So John is like feeding her food cubes and it's weird yeah through the bars he's just sticking these little things through the bars and she's like an uncomfortably fetishistic scene yeah it's it's not great even even chiana after a couple of food cubes is like okay this is weird i'm i'm more weirded out than i am hungry so let's stop now and he's like what was your crime and she's like i don't i don't respect authority i do whatever i want that's that's the reason I'm here. And John's like, okay, that's not a reason. But to be fair, I mean, that is the reason. The reason is that she wouldn't submit to the, like, mind wipe. Mm. So, you know, that's just, just true. And John's like, it doesn't seem like the sort of thing that would get high-ranking guys like... Silas. Like Silas and Durka after you. And she's like... Which is a weird thing to say because... How does he know they're not, like... The lower dregs. <laughs> they could be like space janitors and she's the mess that they need to clean up. <laughs> Oof. Grim. And yes. Yeah, so basically this whole scene is John being like, I don't get why you're here. And she's like, because my people have this big problem with not obeying authority. And he's like, but why is is that really enough for them to arrest you? Yes. Oh, wait, why are you here? <laughs> I think this is important, though, because John's like, they don't seem evil, but they do what you're saying. They don't seem evil, except for the bit where, you know, one of them has the brain taser he's using on you, and he he brainwashed the other guy into complying (laughs) to everything he says. Right. Okay, but I do appreciate this only because it gives Chiana the chance to make an important point, which is that, you know, we are all the good guys of our own story. They think that mind-wiping people is for their own good. It's one of the things that makes a good villain good. They believe in their motivation. That or being Skeletor. Yeah, that goes without saying. Like, 
if you're going to be, if you're going to have a villain, make them someone who either thinks they're the protagonist of their own story or, you know, does not. <laughs> yeah. I hate Christmas. Yeah. <coughs> not doing the Skeletor voice. Yeah, seriously. Meanwhile, the DRDs are barely in this episode. Well, we're told that they're fixing Durka's ship or Silas's ship. So John goes to talk to Durka and is like, hey, Durka, according to Chiana, being brainwashed is bad. And Durka's like, but I'm enjoying my brainwashing. And John's like, hmm, quite a puzzle. This is a real moral <laughs> quandary here. But of course, this uh, this discussion of a moral quandary is interrupted by a bomb. It's just like a little black Roomba-y thing that buzzes into the room and then... Pfft. Yeah, yeah. Knocks out Durka and uh, throws John to the floor Durka, though, is not dead. Yep, he's just... Still. Still not dead. He's just briefly incapacitated, and uh-oh, it's Rigel. Yeah, Rigel's the one who threw the bomb, which I totally understand, 100% understandable, but, dude, like, that's not, it's not the way to aim. Diplomacy is usually your high stat. This is not the way to win over the rest of your crew members, by throwing bombs at them. So, Rigel flies over to Durka, and he's like, ar 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 teeth. And then Durka just starts choking him out. Yeah, no, so this is important. Durka responds violently. Someone needs more time in the... Uh, Brainwashing? Chair. Chamber? Yeah. I-, I assumed it was a clockwork orange thing. Oh, okay. Well, the only reason that I don't assume it's a clockwork orange thing is because... Wait till you see the clockwork orange thing. It does something different. It's a different thing. Mm. But we're going to get a pretty scary chair. All right. The scary chair. I know it sounds like I'm mocking, but it's it's a very scary chair. It's a very scary chair. So it doesn't wipe your mind; it reads it. So when John comes to or gets up, he conveniently didn't notice Durka threatening Rigel, and is like, "Rigel, you can't, you can't throw bombs on a spaceship. It is bad." I I do love that. Durka is choking Rigel, and then as soon as John starts regaining consciousness, he's like, oh no, I'm passing out. Rigel's like, wait, no, Durka's evil. And they're all like, no, he's reformed. He told us he's reformed. God. Yeah, so Durka's like, you know what, I'm just going to go to my room while you all work all this out. And the rest of the crew's like, okay, well, let's just lock up Rigel. Now, it's not cool, because it's ridiculous to give Durka a pass at this point. Hmm. But also, you shouldn't go throwing bombs in the vicinity, in a spaceship, in the vicinity of your crew members, no matter how many, you know, space torturers are near them. So Silas goes to Chiana's cell to fill her in on what's going on as Rigel is being thrown into, not a neighboring cell, but a cell in the same general area. Yeah, and of course, to accuse her of being the one who did it. And she's like, I'm... In the pain collar, and my hands are handcuffed behind my back. Also, we now learn that, like, Zan, Chiana's first go-to is seduction. Because she tries to seduce Silas into letting her go. And I don't know how long she's been on Durka and Silas's ship, but I I understand last-ditch effort, you gotta try everything, but surely she has tried this before, and obviously it has not worked before. (laughs) Well, I mean, she'd feel silly if she... You're right. You're right. She would feel silly if she didn't try. 
it, it actually kind of reminds me of one of my favorite later Simpsons jokes where they're trying to get into a bathroom that's locked with Maggie in it. Mm-hmm. And they try a coat hanger and then they're trying all of these different things and Lisa opens the door and they're like, how did you do that? And she's like, I tried the coat hanger again. I don't get why this family gives up after trying something once. <laughs> yes, yes. So Chiana is trying to seduce What's-His-Bucket, but he just brain tasers her and we cut- Again. Again. And we cut back to John and Dargo who are looking at the bomb and Rigel couldn't have put this bomb together. Well, so Silas was briefly thinking that it might have been Moya who created the bomb. But it was not, it, it was, it was Rigel. And uh, he screwed it up because he doesn't have the bomb making skill. Ah, okay. And Dargo does let John know that if he had done it correctly, uh, there would be a hole in Moya right now. Don't, don't anger the ship you're riding in. It, it's, it's, it's space travel 101, my friends. Seriously, you know what you do, Rigel? You wait until the guy's asleep and then you his throat out. Come on. Right? You had the right idea in the first place. I know. What's the best way to take out this guy? Why don't I do something that will also kill everyone on the ship? See, this is why Chiana is a better rogue than Rigel, but we'll get to that in a bit. So, also, I just gotta throw this out there. Silas is like mind tasering Chiana and like she's clearly not a villain and I I'm surprised that John like super like superhero human John isn't like all over rescuing her yeah John's kind of morally on the weak side in this episode it's really out of character for him to not like try to save her uh, I guess he's still tired from his adventures in weird racist storyland. Oh, yeah, yeah. He did spend three months there. <laughs> oh, he's like, last time I befriended an alien, her boyfriend tried to kill me. So <laughs> I'm just going to lay low now. <laughs> so Zan just, Zan at least, this is in character for Zan because her whole deal is morally judging people. Hmm. So at least Zan is like, this isn't good. Even Rigel, with his many faults, does not deserve to be mind whammied. Yeah, because Silas wants to. Yeah, it's because Silas wants to extradite Rigel to his planet once his ship comes to pick him up. Yeah, it's it's brainwash o'clock, and Rigel is looking uh, pretty brain dirty. And Zan's like, "Yeah, no, you know you don't have like any authority here." And he's like, "Maybe you need a little brainwashing yourself, Pau." And she's like, that just blues my face. I have to say, it's it's annoying that they're all like, no, we would never let you brainwipe Rigel. But they're totally cool with him taking Chiana and brainwiping her. God, Rigel's such a delight. <laughs> so He'll lose his impish personality if you rewrite his moral code. Are you thinking about that episode of Futurama, how Hermes requisitioned his groove back, where they take out Bender's personality chip? How dare you? He's so quiet and helpful. I wasn't, but yes. So, Chiana manages to bust out of her cell and go into Rigel's cell because she recognizes... She recognizes a rogue when she sees one who's going to help her out. Yeah, and she's like, hey, so you want to kill Durka... And I'm cool with Durka dying, so, you know, let, let's, you know. Let's What's going to work? <laughs> teamwork. Okay, so at the end of the episode, 
they kind of treat it like it's this big mystery who killed Silas. Spoiler alert, Silas is going to die pretty soon. Mm-hmm. But, like, I thought it was really obviously supposed to be Chiana. Well, it's it could have been Durka, right? Because Durka is, spoiler alert, his conditioning has been undone by the bomb. So it, it could have been Durka or Chiana. And the idea is that the show is not going to tell us. But, yeah, it's clearly Chiana. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like, how far does Durka's brainwashing extend? Did they talk about whether or not he'd be able to self-defend himself? They didn't talk about that. Because, I mean, I get that... I I honestly kind of thought that his brainwashing got broken after Silas died. Like, I guess it was supposed to be the bomb. But, yeah, it, yeah, it's supposed to be the bomb. But it really seemed more like, I don't know, Silas was a mental tether or something. Because I feel like most of the really bad stuff he does isn't until Silas is dead. I guess if you assume that he was the one who killed Silas, then yeah, but... Well, yeah, yeah, it ha- yeah, it couldn't have been Silas's death because then we wouldn't have the question of who it was. And and the showrunner specifically wanted us to sit with that question, did Shanna do it or not? And here's the thing. Who cares? Good for her, <laughs> you know? <laughs> to quote that Lucille Bluth gif. <laughs> so, Chiana and Rigel come to a deal. Chiana unties Rigel and he immediately betrays her. You want the same thing, right? I'm saying this is, they would be, they would be so much better off just, I mean, we're going to keep them both. We're going to keep both Rigel and Chiana, but this crew would be so much better off trading out Rigel for Chiana. As soon as she unties him, he's like, the Nabari escaped. She's in my cell. And I like, before Aaron will come save him, she's like, are you lying, Rigel? If I run all the way over there and there's not a blue girl trying to suffocate you with a pillow, I'm going to be upset. In another part of the ship, Silas is like, be careful, she is capable of violence. Unlike everyone else on this ship. Unlike everyone else in the universe. Literally everyone else on this ship, including Silas and Durka, is capable of violence. Maybe, you know what, maybe not, nope, Pilot is too if you like threaten Moya. Everyone on the ship is capable of violence. Like, Silas is like, she's dangerous. You don't even know. And Zan's like, really? Because I cut off my pilot's arm a week after I met him. Just the the whole, like, she's dangerous. Everyone's dangerous. That's why you're... They, well, I mean, to be fair, Silas doesn't know they're escaped prisoners, but... <laughs> if you're in the uncharted territories... I get the impression it's safe to assume that, you know, you can handle yourself. Yeah. Okay, so it's weird Or are Dargo. I was going to say it's weird that all of my examples are Xan and not Dargo, but Xan is like, I killed the guy I was having sex with during sex. We're all dangerous. <laughs> and Dargo managed to successfully beat up some extras last episode. That was like a high point in competence for him. Okay, you know what? I'm going to throw this out there. I'm going to say that this is a positive. This is a positive that in a show, the like the peaceful priest character is the one who has really enacted the most violence. And she's done it in a manner that aligns with her moral code. Like she did it to save her people. She did it in the context of a revolution. Whereas Dargo, the warrior character, is in prison because of who he fell in love with. I'm, I'm going to say this is a positive about this show, that it's a subversion. Hmm. Okay. 
Yeah, so basically everyone's all over the ship, and they're all on their communicators running around looking for Chiana, which makes sense because the ship is giant. I actually never saw uh, Pitch Black, but this is kind of the premise of it, isn't it? Uh, I mean, like, there's an no. escape prisoner, and I guess it's different because they had to, like, let him out to help them fight someone else. Okay, no, the, the premise of Pitch Black is that they crash onto a planet. While and, transporting a prisoner. While transporting a prisoner. And when they get to the planet, it turns out that there's, like, an alignment of the planets that happens once every million years or something. And when it does, all these, like, death monsters come up and try to eat everyone. So they have to release the prisoner in, like, a Hannibal Lecter scenario so that he can help them not get eaten by the darkness monsters. And what's funny is it's, like, a straight-up horror sci-fi movie, like Alien. Mm -hmm. But Vin Diesel, like going into Pitch Black, like, created this elaborate backstory for his criminal. He didn't really have any characterization other than, like... Is criminal yeah. good at killing? Yeah. But he came up with this massive space opera backstory for Riddick, and then they shot that. They were like, okay, well, the sequel will be a space opera called Chronicles of Riddick. I saw that movie, and I don't remember a single thing that happened in it, except, like... He becomes king at the end, and I don't remember how any of the events leading up to the end of the movie would result in him being king, but okay. Okay, is this like a fever dream, or or was Dame Judi Dench in that movie? Dame Judi Dench was in that movie. Weird. Kids, the uh, the early 2000s were a weird time for pop culture. Mm. <laughs> Speaking of... <laughs> So this sequence is kind of shot like a horror movie, because everybody's separated, they're all running through the ship looking for Chiana, and then we see... We see from the killer's point of view, someone sneak up on Silas. So, you know, we don't see who it is. And then... We get a long shot of Aaron bending over in uh, Rigel's cell. It's a pretty horny shot, honestly. Yeah, it's the sort of shot we usually see with John in this show. But <laughs> nope, it's just a, zo- a slow zoom in on Aaron's rear end. And then, uh-oh, it's... it's <laughs> It really reminds me of the thing in, like, not to go back to The Simpsons, but in Who Shot Mr. Burns, where they're kind of going through where everyone is right before. Yes, it's very much like that, yeah. Or, which I think is a reference to Agatha Christie. Maybe. It it feels sort of like a murder mystery setup where we're, like, establishing... We're finding out who could and could not be the killer, right? So, when the killing is happening... We know that it's not Rigel because, and we know it's not Aaron because Aaron's untying him. Mm-hmm. And we know it's not John because John's about to discover the body, but it could be Durka because Durka comes up on Aaron and Rigel, but he had time to commit the murder. And then he like gaslights Rigel by being like, "I am completely peaceful still." Mm. But so, it- so John is the Marge Simpson in this situation. Yes, and as I said, John discovers the body. <gasps> Yeah. Oh no, the brainwashing, you know, brain taser guy's dead. What a tragedy. Okay, Zan actually says, he's like, when John is like, oh no, Chiana killed him. Zan's like, well, considering what he was going to do to her. Oh well. (laughs) Good for her. I mean, the real issue is, are the Nabari's going to you know, declare war on Moya's crew now. That's the real question. Yeah, because Silas had some backup coming to help him once his ship got taken out of commission. And, uh, yeah, now they are... 
they're coming and they're probably not going to be happy that their guy got murdered. Yep. Yep. It's funny to me that this episode is very much the horror here is, oh no, Chiana, she's so good at hiding, she could be anywhere in the ship. We're, we're all wandering around. It, it, alien, essentially, right? Yeah. <laughs> alien. But, of course, knowing the show the way we know it, we the listeners and me, not you, Max. Hmm. But knowing the show the way we know it, I'm not worried about Chiana. <laughs> like, I'm not afraid Chiana's going to kill any of these people. Oh no, the main characters are doomed. <laughs> right? But what we do see, and what you do worry about on rewatch, is Durka, who sneaks up behind Aaron and takes her out, takes out Rigel, takes the two of them captive, because, you know... He's he's evil again. Durka Durka's evil again, and 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 now he's got hostages. So now Durka on the command carrier with his hostages is trying to take over the Leviathan, take over Moya. Which and, this is not gonna go well for you, dude. I mean, to be fair, he doesn't know that she's pregnant, and uh, Leviathans are pretty powerful ships, especially if all you want to do is run. Mm. So Durka's like. Pulling out wire. He's he's basically doing the same thing Dargo did when they broke out. He's yeah, just, the pilot. Yeah. He's just pulling out wires when Pilot shows up on the clamshell and is like, what are you doing? Durka just shoots the clamshell with his blaster. And uh, pulling out the wires seems to work because all the doors like close and lock. I guess that is how you close and lock the doors. Just pulling out random wires. Sure, why not? Also, I mean... I, I guess Leviathan tech wouldn't change that much. And it's not like he was out of commission per se. Oh, but... no, Leviathan tech would not have changed because it, it's a living being. So it, it's Leviathan biology. Mm. And then Durka like dramatically takes the knife and starts cutting off his super long hair to like symbolize that he's his he's evil not... self again. Yeah, he's not a peace loving hippie anymore. He's a bad murder dude it's funny we see him cutting his hair with like a dagger but then we cut away and when we cut back it's like cleanly shaved like with clippers he's really good with that dagger i mean you know what i guess he is but aaron confronts him and she's like hey so did you kill that guy the brainwashy guy and dirk is like it doesn't matter I love murdering people, and the murder inhibitor thing's broken now, so I'm gonna murder as many people as I want. Murder, 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 murder. He's like, I can't believe that for a minute I thought that I shouldn't murder people. I'm so excited to get back to murder. He's got kind of a one-track mind, huh? Well, a two-track. There's also torture. Oh, and in fact, he there's a very, very creepy villain line where he's like, you know, it's the simple things you miss. And then, like, moves in to torture Rigel. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say, get a hobby, dude, but I guess... Uh... Yeah, that that is, that is his hobby. So he gets on the communicators and tells everyone that he's in control now. He's the captain now. I fought the urge, but yes. He's He's got Aaron and Rigel, and if they don't figure out how to make Starburst work, because Starburst is not working because of Moya's pregnancy... Durka doesn't realize it's because of the pregnancy, but if they don't make Starburst work, he's going to kill the hostages, and he knows that they're going to be upset about losing at least one of them. It's interesting that you asked if he knew about Leviathans, because down in down in Pilot's area, Zan is like, well, can't you do something? 
And Pilot says that he he knows all the overrides. He's very good at controlling leviathans, apparently. Which I mean, the Zalbinian wasn't a leviathan. Yeah, I. What, where did where yeah? Where Derpa got? I mean, it's totally possible he did. Like he he was a peacekeeper for a long time. He could have you know commanded a leviathan. But it is interesting because you know. This is not his, uh, this should not be his area of expertise. It's not the area of expertise we've seen him have. There's no reason he, it couldn't be part of it, but we've never seen it before. So, I love this. Dargo jumps down into one of the access hatches to try to get to command since all the doors are locked. And John's like, don't fall out of the ship! Again. (laughs) And Durka sees him trying to come in and is like, you know these things lock, right? So that people don't fall out of the ship? And he just locks Dargo in the access hatch. Yeah, yeah. So he's evil speeching Aaron because she's like, you're a bad peacekeeper and you weren't doing the things a peacekeeper should do and a captain should go down with the ship. And he's like, yeah, that's stupid. That's a stupid line of thought. He's basically the Rumpelstiltskin of this show. Where Rumpelstiltskin got all shamed for, for being cowardly and running away from a fight he could never win. Yeah. Well, this guy, it doesn't really seem like he tried to fight so much as he was just like, oh, these guys have a bigger ship. I'm out of here. Yep, that's true. How did he get so far in the military? I mean, that is a great question. I do not have an answer. I'm assuming peacekeepers mostly win because they have numbers, just given off what we've seen of the peacekeepers in this show. Yeah. I'm assuming it's mostly a numbers game. I think that's accurate. I mean, I think uh, it makes sense because she's a main character, but like, I think Eren's the most good at her job peacekeeper we've seen remember aaron was about to be sent to like the elite squad so she is one of the better fighters but when we saw that elite squad they all got their uh you know rear ends kicked by john turning up the heat and then shoving (laughs) them gently i mean fair fair so the rest of the crew's like so we just have to sit around until he finds out Moya's pregnant, right? That, that'll that uh, kind of take care of this situation. Yeah. I mean, it won't. Uh, he'll still have... I don't know. He chose, I think, what has to be the worst hostages you could take. Because you have Aaron, who no one's worried about because she can take care of herself and eventually she's going to get control of the situation. And she has Rigel, which... Who cares what happens to Rigel? <laughs> I, I like that he instinctively knows who people care about because he says if they don't turn the starburst on, he's going to torture Aaron and keep the comm channels open so that everyone can hear it. I don't love that Aaron's hair is flat in this episode. I, I Th- that happens later. Probably in really hot. I thought humidity made your hair bigger. Well, it depends on what kind of hair you have. Anyway, Rigel is the one who uh, breaks it to Durka. He's like, haha. You are, you are a terrible, well, first he tells me he's a terrible peacekeeper because he's attacking a peacekeeper who's bound up and that's not very, uh. Peacekeeperly. Yeah, it's not very warriorly. And, uh, also, haha, you stole a pregnant leviathan, so, uh. Have fun not getting anywhere, jerk. Right. So, uh. Basically, you're stuck here on this pregnant leviathan, and uh, when the Nabari get back here, they're just going to take you and brainwash you again, so... uh, Yeah, have fun with that. Yep. I do like that Rigel is gloating. You tortured me for so long, and I didn't break, but uh, all it took was a little brainwashing, and you totally broke. (laughs) To be fair, it was hundreds of cycles of brainwashing. 
It was hundreds of cycles of torture. Wait, how long do peacekeepers live? Oh, I guess it wasn't hundreds of cycles of torture. I guess it was hundreds of cycles ago. Okay. I also I do like the fact that the brainwashing process uh, apparently stops you from aging during it. Of course. Otherwise, uh, Durka wouldn't come back. <laughs> so in the bowels of the ship, John has found... Uh, literally. Mm, yes. John has found Chiana, and uh, they have a little bit of a, of a fight, and... Unlike most fights in this show, they, they actually do kind of like a sexy fight. A sexy fight in the steam. I mean... Let's fight in the steam in blue light room. Okay, I'm, I am going to say I do like this about the show, right? Like, the show has not... A, a couple of ass shots aside. Mm. The show has not really... And the crotch pin. Yes. Yes, other than those two things. The show hasn't really sexualized Aaron. I mean, Claudia Black is super sexy. It's and, true. And Aaron is awesome, but they haven't really, like, done a lot of glamour shots. They haven't done a lot of objectifying shots. Aaron is not subject to the male gaze. Whereas John is, like, the eye candy. And now we have Chiana, who... Yeah. Yeah. This is going full Enterprise here. In this episode, Chiana takes a 45-minute shower. <laughs> oh, no, but, like, the sexy fighting does somehow end with John on top of Chiana. Of course. Which, of course, makes Chiana, like, try to be vulnerable and be like, I just, I've never trusted anyone before because I come from a, an oppressive world, but I'm a sexy rebel in that oppressive world. John mentions that Durka broke the brainwashing, and she's like, wait, you can do that? Although, when when I saw that, I'm like, well, yeah, but he's not Nabari. I assume that the brainwashing is... More effective on the people they've been doing it on the longest. Yeah, yeah. But she's like, oh, maybe I should team up with Durka, and John's like... That's a bad idea. Or not? It's obviously a bad idea. Like, I, I, I don't even, I don't even know how to respond to that idea. It's so bad. <laughs> I like how John puts forth the idea that, uh, since he's been on like peace brain drugs or whatever for hundreds of years, logically he's going to swing in the other direction now that he's off them <laughs> and be extra murdery. He uses the term happy meals, and Shanna's like. What? John does tell Chiana, like, look, you can join up with Durka and we can keep sexy fighting, or you can join up with the Moya crew and we can sexy fight together. Actually, what he says is, either you're with us or you're on your own. Ooh, good point, right? Because he's emphasizing that if she chooses to team up with Durka, that's gonna last about two seconds. Yeah. So John's like, what's your goal? What's your character motivation? And she's like, fine, I'll team up with you if you have a good plan. He's like, she's like, oh my God, why am I always stuck with Gree Blocks who don't have any plans? John's like, ah, I have a plan. You're just not going to like the plan because it involves using you as bait. I mean, honestly, the plan should just be Rush Durka. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) So Durka's walking around in his long coat, holding his two guns in two different directions. He's... He's headed to to the baby, right? Because he's he's going to kill the baby so that Moya can starburst again. Mm-hmm. And Shanna's like, hey, stop. Look at my very tight pants and pseudo midriff bearing shirt. And my like low cut, my low cut and high cut shirt. 
Who is she, Meredith in the office? <laughs> oh. But she's basically doing that thing where she's like, oh, I'm not trying to distract you. The great Durka would never be distracted. Tell me about your greatness, great Durka, and how undistractable you are. She also tells him that she knows where the baby is, and she will take Durka to it if they can team up with each other. And uh, Durka says he doesn't need her because he's he's got the the information from the ship directly about where the baby is and chiana like succeeds on her bluff check here she's like yeah i rewrote that to send you in the wrong direction and Durka believes her i mean honestly she could be like yeah the the ship's gonna tell you where the baby is I mean, that's more that would be a better bluff but she succeeded it's good it's good enough <laughs> yeah there's a hatchway right through this steam-filled tunnel that definitely doesn't have anyone waiting to jump you in it. I, I do like this because Dirk is like, ooh, I don't want to enter a dark room where anyone could jump out and attack me. And Shanna's like, well, you turned off all the lights. I don't know what you want from us. <laughs> Which is a very good point, but also Durka is right because John is hiding in that room. And when John finally jumps out to try to attack Durka, because it becomes clear he's not going to come into the room, Durka slams the door. And Crichton's like, come on, Shiana, I said get him to the room. And Shiana, a rules lawyer if there ever was one, says, ah, you said get him to the room. Also, he shot her. Also, he shot her. And in the original script, she was supposed to die here. But they decided they wanted to keep her around. So she does that thing from uh, Little Shop of Horrors where she's like, oh, and, uh, Seymour's like, are you okay? And she's like, yes, no. And then you can tell they cut the film because they changed the ending. And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. Let's go. (laughs) So, God, this episode would be so much shorter if, I I mean, I know they can't do this all the time. But remember, like, I think it was in the pilot where one of the DRDs just stabbed John with a knockout thing. (laughs) Yes. Well, I think it felt like. It feels like a long time talking about it because not a lot happens. I mean, a lot of action-y stuff happens, which isn't stuff that's fun to talk. It's not stuff that's great for talking about because it's just like, and then more action and Dirk is running and shooting and Dargo's shooting and... Well, that's, you know, that's exactly my point. It didn't feel overlong watching it because it's a lot of action sequences and a lot of like long atmospheric shots. So... Yeah, it works in the context of something you watch, but it's not... As much talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. So Durka goes to his own ship um, because he's going to use the weapons on his ship. I don't know if we've ever talked before. It's going to become super plot significant later. But I don't know if we've ever talked before about the fact that Moya doesn't have any weapons. I think we might have touched on it a little bit. But yeah, she she's a transport vehicle. Right. So the only thing Moya can do, the thing that she can do that makes her a great ship is that she can starburst. She can run away very fast, but she does not have any weapons. So Durka gets on his own ship, which, remember, is in the bay. Yeah, or I guess Silas's ship. Of course. The Nabari ship. Because so, the Nabari ship has weapons, and he's just going to shoot at Moya until he kills the, the the baby. So since he's in that ship in the hangar, they can just push him out the door, right? Yeah. Except that he locked all the doors. So turns out... It's a good thing we have all this bomb-making equipment that Rigel left out earlier because he's so sloppy. I do love how John kind of just grabs a bomb and he walks up to the ship and he's like, I have a bomb and I'm just going to bullet right into you. I mean, it, it works. <laughs> it's he, he literally just 
rolls the bomb like a bowling ball, and then there's a shot that looks really fake, but I guess it's not because apparently Ben Browder got actually injured doing it. Yeah, yeah, he does the diving away from the explosion shot because he dives out of the shuttle bay and tells them to close the door to the shuttle bay. Hmm. Uh, The door does not close fast enough, and John is getting sucked out into space with everything else in the shuttle bay, even though he's, like, on the other side of a non-closed door. Mm -hmm. And... Then Pilot very slowly starts to close the door just as John is getting pulled to it. And he's like, wait, no, 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 stop closing the door. And, okay, Zan is down there with Pilot still like she was before. And she's like, Pilot, stop, stop. And it's like, he hears the same calm you hear, Zan. You're not giving him new information. Luckily, the episode established when we first saw Chiana that John has very, very muscly arms. Ah, yes. He's able to, like, grab a stick and, like, keep himself from being pulled all the way out. And And then he pulls himself back in. John's biceps are stronger than the vacuum of space. You know what? It tracks. With Ben Browder, it totally tracks. So... Dirk is like, I'll get you, John Crichton. Yeah, because he's now he's in the ship, the disabled Nabari ship, but he's just floating in space. And uh, John's like, yeah, we already have a guy who's, you know, sucking at that already. We don't need two guys who suck at finding me in space. John says, uh, get in line. And poor John, my sweet summer John here in season one, has no idea how long that line is going to get. <laughs> and he also points out that he's not really sweating Durka because, you know... Those people are still coming, and they're definitely going to brainwash him as soon as they, you know, show up on the ship and his handler is no longer there. There's, there's two possibilities for Durka right now. He dies in the disabled ship in the vacuum of space, or the Nabari pick him up and brainwash him again. So, no more Durka. We're done with Durka. <laughs> so, we're having the decompression... Scene. I never thought about like, like, the wrap-up scene, right? Yeah. Where Aaron's talking to Rigel and she's like, you showed yourself to be a warrior or whatever. Yeah, you you did the right thing and doing the right thing makes you a superstar. That's a gem in the holograms reference. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. I wish they worked those kind of PSAs into like these series. Just, We've had a lot of fun here today, but you know what's not fun, <laughs> kids? Licking exposed wires. <laughs> or what? What's the thing that they... Downed power lines. That was the thing that was always in those. <laughs> so in another part of the ship, Zan is healing Chiana because she's a priest again. And also this is like... She calls Chiana a brat and says that she can't take her pain if Chiana doesn't tell her where the pain is. That's true. I don't know, Zan. Maybe it's in her giant gun wound. <laughs> okay, but I like both her calling her a brat and trying to take her pain. I I feel like, okay, Chiana's one of the crew now. It is established. Even though she she won't accept that she's a member of the crew now, she tells John that just drop her off at the next... Uh, uh, planet. Yeah, next trade planet. And John's like, okay, well, we're not a prison ship, so you, yeah, you can get off whenever you want to get off. <laughs> it's weird how they kind of talk about how John trusts her, but no one else on the ship does. Why wouldn't they trust her? Like, you're all escaped prisoners. And like... She's been pretty upfront to ever. I don't even remember her interacting with really any other member of the crew. She saw John is the soft mark, and he's basically the only one she's talked to. I mean, the real question is, John asked her if she murdered Silas. Like, the implication being that if she had, then they can't take her on the ship. They can't trust her. And, you know, she refuses to answer the question. And then we cut to credits. But, you know. Who cares? You've all killed a lot of people. It's fine. 
Also, Silas, Silas needed killing. It's fine. It's fine. But I do like that, you know, we start off with Chiana being a character that, uh, I, I don't want to say morally gray because it's, Heck. yeah, yeah. Um, because everything Chiana does is completely understandable, but we, when we're introduced to her as a character, we know that she does what she needs to do. She, she's a survivor. She does what she needs to do to survive. She, she'll say that again in a later episode. Mm. Um, and that's, that's fair. She'll fit in with the rest of the crew. Yeah. And, okay, so and she really will. I really love Chiana and the way she meshes with the rest of the crew. So is she just part of the cast now? Or? She is. Wow. I kind of thought that she'd like leave and then come back later once they lost Zan. Oh, no. Uh, we get a different character when they lose Zan. Oh. Okay. I thought Chiana was the fill-in character for when we don't have Zan anymore. Ah, uh, because I've mentioned to you that I think you will like the character who comes after Zan leaves, but I won't tell you who that character is. Yeah. And I do really like Chiana. Chiana's great. I was going to say, is it is it a bad thing that I kind of prefer the... I, I was going to say, is it a bad thing I prefer the more human characters? Except I like Pilot. Like, why doesn't Pilot get more to do? I mean, I get it because he's a giant puppet who's stuck in the ship, but... He's, he's literally got giant tentacles that run throughout the ship. So I guess it's mostly me not liking Rigel or Dargo. So the next episode we have coming up is one of my very favorites. Maybe my favorite of season one. Mm-hmm. And it is a human reaction. The episode description is, Returning to Earth through a wormhole, Crichton receives an unfriendly welcome, but is reunited with his father. Oh, oh it's going to be a Daddy Issues episode. Not the way you think. And I really like this episode because this is the episode that really kicks off. Well, I like it for I like it because it's a really well-written episode. Like, just let me throw that out there. But also, it's the episode that kicks off the continuing plot that will be the plot all the way until we're done, all the way through the Peacekeeper Wars. Mm. So it's it's an important episode. You know, I said earlier in this podcast that I couldn't say, you know, just start with this one and stop with this one. And I was just about to say, I guess you could say start with a human reaction, but you couldn't because a human reaction is entirely based on everything we've learned about Moya's crew up until this point. Yeah. All right. So I guess that'll about do it. Yeah. This show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, and Benjamin. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at ilovetvzines on Twitter, or at ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. <laughs>